0: You're listening to the Arsenal Church Podcast. To learn more about the Arsenal, go to thearsenal.church. And if you'd like to receive more content throughout your week, feel free to download the Arsenal Church app. I have a feeling today is gonna to be a day that um, I'm gonna make somebody mad. I'm just, I'm just gonna jump right into it. Hey, who's, uh, who's excited about election season, huh? Football season's over? Here, here we go. Like half the people are like, I'm out. Here we go. Yeah, they're still letting me have a microphone. Oh, honestly, as I, we are going to talk about this, but as somebody who um, generally avoids conflict to an unhealthy degree, like the plague, like like this is this is like one of my personal growth goals is to um, engage in healthy conflict before it becomes a bigger problem, like I'm learning and I'm growing, um, but as that person, that's that's part of like who I am, is I, I tend to, my natural tendency is like, oh, conflict, look, I'm, bye. Um, yeah, Chad, Chad goes, same. <laughs> Here I am avoiding conflict, see? Um, but no, I'm like, like to me, this is such, I feel like my whole nervous system is already gearing up for the next, like, several months, right? Like, just leading up this, this whole thing. Um, so you got, I, I, I try not to, this should be a place of peace. And, and already, like, you guys feel that, like, tension, like, it, you, like, having, like, there's this trauma from like four years ago that's like, <laughs> right? See, the, the reality is that it's, it's actually, it's kind of sad because what we've seen is a lot of relationships damaged, families damaged. There's probably relationships that you have that have still not healed. And there are people that used to be friends that you no longer talk to because of the political state of where we're at. The Bible gives us some really great advice here, or a command. It's an appeal that the Apostle Paul makes when there was division in a church. And he says this, 1 Corinthians 1, 10, and 11, he says, "'I appeal to you, brothers.'" By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, now let's just take this and let's apply it. That all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So, like, there it is, like, have the same mind, agree, see you next week. Like, fixed it, right? Even we could just, just narrow this down to the church, Christianity. It's it's like when when this, every four years, especially, and it seems like it's like more and more and more every time, it feels that way to me a little more intense. Hopefully, maybe, maybe we peaked. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Um, but Paul's writing into this place, into this church that, that was divided. And he's going, let there be no divisions among you. So we can, I mean, maybe we can just do that. And you guys all know, if we look at kind of the spectrum of what the church looks like today, that seems like a pretty impossible appeal to appease. Let there be no divisions, let there be no quarreling. I want to look at this um, kind of a story in the Bible that might help us today. We're talking about stories, and we're going to look at this story, sort of. It's not a secret that the political tension, like you got, do you guys feel that like there's tension, right? Like everybody, everybody knows this, right? I feel like we've done a little bit of flying under the radar, but all of that is about to be just like, here we go, like we took a breath, back to it, right? It's not a secret that political tension is not new to us or unique in our country, right? I mean, this is something that's been going on since history began. There's tension. There's political tension. Anytime there's a ruler, anytime there's any law, anytime there's anything to discuss, people have tension. In Jesus' time, Israel was occupied by... Rome. And so, as you might imagine, there was political tension. There was intense division, even among the Jewish people. And so there was, there was really, I'm going to divide this into two camps, even though it, it, there was very much just like our political spectrum. There, there, there are many, many views. There are extremes. But two of the extremes that existed during this Roman occupation of Israel was, one, there were people who were like, it is what it is. Like, this is the reality that we live in. I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to make the best of it. We had Pharisees that worked with Roman rulers. We had tax collectors who were Jewish people who had the backing of Roman guards. They would literally walk around with Roman guards and shake down their their. Fellow Israelites and get their money, right? Because they had to and they could steal money. And so these people were known as traitors against their own people. You had political movements like the Zealots. The Zealots were people who were anti, very anti Roman occupation. Right. So, I mean, think about this. If we had, especially in Texas, right? If we had somebody who was coming in and occupying Texas, let's just think about like this underground group of, um, of Texans that are like, not in my state, right? Like, that's going to happen. I mean, that, that would be a very real thing here. That's the zealots. Those are the people that were like, not in my country. You don't and they didn't really have very many boundaries right so think about these two these two extremes your tax collectors over here who are like it i i got to take care of mine right this is the reality i have this job offer i'm taking care of my family and and to a degree like there's a lot of like empathy there right like of course you have to take care of your family. I mean, if this was a real person and they were like, I was offered this job and it's going to be great for me. It's going to be great for my kids. We're going to be taken care of. It's a hard thing to go like, don't do it. Like you want good things for your friends. And then also, I think we could understand on the other side, You have these people who are like, we got to get rid of these Romans. We got to fight against this. Whatever it takes to maintain our independence or regain our independence, we got to do it. And that's about the time that Jesus comes along. In Luke 6, 13 through 16, it says, When morning came, he, Jesus, called his disciples to him, and chose 12 of them. So he had this big group of people who were following him, listening to his teaching, and then he goes, I'm going to narrow it down to my 12 most important. These are those whom he also designated apostles. There was Simon, whom he named Peter. His brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, who was a tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Real quick, how would you like to be like the other Judas there? Like, They're like, hey, guy, what's your name? You're like, I'm Judas. Oh, no, other Judas. I don't know. That just hit me. I was actually not even going to leave that verse in there, but I thought that was kind of funny. So here's Jesus, he walks into this intense political division among the Jewish people. Grabs a tax collector and a zealot. I'm like, Jesus, I don't know if you've read the latest like leadership books, but this is this is a bad move, I'll tell you right off the bat. I've read some books that... Let me get the tax collector and the zealot. He didn't have to pick these guys. He had lots of people to pick from. And he's like, you and you, bring it in. It's a showdown. There's a story brewing here. I mean, like literally, he goes, you and you, we're going to spend three years together every day, all day. It's going to be great. Let's apply this. You're trying, let's, let's think about it. You're trying to start a movement. You pick two of the most extreme, not like, not like, let me get the most reasonable people who I feel can really come together. No. Now, bless you. Now, think about right now. Some of the farthest on the political spectrum that you can think of, and go like, let me pull these guys together and we're gonna start a movement. Like, you're just begging for problems, you're begging for conflict. So Jesus took two of the most politically extreme people and says, you're going to spend all day, every day with me, with each other. You had Simon, anti-Rome. Matthew, the tax collector who was walking around with Roman guards, stealing from his own people, probably. And Jesus goes, let's do this. And so guess what happened? Guess, guess what story came out of this? These two guys. These two extremely divided people. If they ran into each other on the street, it would not have been good news. Like literally, when, when you look at what the zealots had done and who the tax collectors were, like Matthew might have been on like the hit list like this is this is what was happening this group of the zealots after Jesus actually grew and became more and more and more intense so Jesus goes let's let's get these two guys sitting around a campfire Let's go places together. Like you guys are gonna bunk together. Like, you two, hang out. There's There's no escaping this when it's just 12 of you. And so the other disciples were there. The other disciples who wrote, Matthew wrote, other disciples wrote. Guess what happened? Guess what was so significant that the disciples said, we need to get this message out. Jesus brought these two politically divisive people together, and you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing. There's, there's zero story in the Bible about these extreme Two ext- politically extreme people coming and spending three years together, nothing happened worth writing about. I, w- I would imagine there were some conversations around the campfire. But it's not like John wasn't like, man, these two were always going. I mean, if somebody was going to brag about it, Chad Chad always loves to bring this up. Like the guy who was like, I ran faster than Peter. Like the guy who was going to bring it up, John, would probably be like, these two were always arguing, but I didn't. You know, like nothing. Simon the Zealot gets like nothing. Like that, that was about it. And I think the absence of conflict that would be worth writing about tells us how disarming the love of Jesus can actually be. In fact, the only real conflict that took place with the disciples besides, like, John and Peter and. I'm like, dude, you were talking about Jesus raising from the dead, and the first thing that you could think of was how fast you could run? It's odd. Other than that, the main conflict that the disciples had was, like, who's going to get to sit next to Jesus? And Jesus set that straight real quick. Like, it's, not, it's not about that, guys. But that, that's what they argued about. Like, who, who got to be closest to Jesus. So today I'm kind of not not talking about a story, but the absence of a story. Imagine starting a church today and going like, we need to hire the most extreme political views to be a part of this staff. Like you're, you're begging for the thing to fail. Jesus started... Christianity. <laughs> he said, I want to take you from way, way over here, and you from way, way over here, and I want to pull you in, and I want to show you the healing power of grace. In Paul's letters, multiple times, he tells us that division is a sign that we're not trusting the forgiveness that God offers. Where there's division, it's a sign that you're not trusting the grace and the forgiveness that is yours. Because when we understand That God's love, God's acceptance, God's grace cannot be earned. We understand, like when we really internalize this, when we do that, we understand and we live in a manner that shows we understand that others don't have to earn it either. Because we can be real quick to go, well, they, well, now we're putting conditions when we understand that we can't earn God's acceptance, we understand that others don't have to earn it either. We understand that if God can be with me, loving me, accepting me in all of my shortcomings, we understand that God can be with others in theirs as well. This, this is where we really begin to experience healing. See, Christianity often has been presented as, if you will fix yourself, if you will fix your behavior, then God will forgive you. When the reality is that God accepts and loves and forgives you right where you're at, simply by you trusting that God loves, accepts, and forgives you. And it's, it's fair and it's understanding. We've used a very modern definition of the word repent, which is to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing. It's about how I feel, feel bad. When we look biblically at this word, repent, it's metanoia, which is made up of two words, meta, which is a growth or to go beyond or to change. For all my nerds, metahumans, like superpowers, right? Like they go beyond humanity, it's like a growth. Noia is the mind. The word literally means let your mind go beyond or let your mind change. The way that I've come to understand it is be enlightened for the forgiveness of your sins. Come to the reality that Jesus has forgiven you. It it points us to Christ, not to ourselves. And he's going to do the work. It's not you do the work and then he accepts you. It's he accepts you already and he's going to do the work when you come to the realization of what he's done for you and how loving and how good and how kind he actually is. Romans 5.10 says this, For if... While we were God's enemies, let's put that into perspective. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He does it. See, if we could fix all of our shortcomings, Jesus was kind of pointless. We're we're right back in the place of law because that was the system that already existed before Jesus showed up. Do good things, be good, fix yourself, and then God will bless you. Jesus gave us a new system. That says, I love you and I accept you. You're my children. All of you. And it's that place of love and acceptance that begins to heal us from the inside out. And in order to experience the good news of Jesus. In order to feel and know and live with the peace and the joy that God has already handed to us, we have to learn to extend that grace and forgiveness to those that we struggle with the most. And not just, like, tolerating, like, okay, I guess, genuinely loving because now I'm talking about not not just what you do to others, but what you experience internally. I think God cares about that. So if you're not genuine, Paul says, let love be genuine, then you're not going to experience the benefits of being a loving person. So we're not secretly holding back our rage and being like I'm pa- I'm being patient with you. But approaching people with compassion. Loving the enemy as Jesus loved us. Not waiting for us to fix ourselves. It's in this place when we realize, when we accept the idea that God is not holding anything against us, he's not waiting for us to get everything sorted out, not waiting for us to have the perfect political philosophy... This, this is when we position ourselves to approach others with compassion and grace. Understand it for yourself. God's not waiting for you to figure it all out before he goes, oh, now I love you. We're, we're taught, Paul says it very directly. While we were still sinners, God loved us. While we were his enemies, he reconciled us. And when you accept that for yourself, that this is not something that you've earned, God's love. And, and I feel like sometimes we do this in a way where it's like, you haven't earned it and you don't deserve it. I think God is saying, no, you do deserve it. You're my child. There's a difference between deserve and earn. Like, I, don't, I wouldn't say my children have earned my love. Do they deserve it? Yes. Like, do we understand, we understand the difference here, right? Like, when we put it into like, into like our perspective of a family, my children don't have to earn my love, but you better believe they deserve it because they are my children. And I think that's why God puts this into that perspective for us, why he calls us children. It's not because we don't know anything and we're really dumb. It's because we don't have to earn his love, but yes, we deserve it. Why? Because we are his children. We are his family. We are his creation. It's not that you don't deserve God's love. It's that you don't don't have to earn it. You have it. You, you can live from that place. I think the absence of any kind of story between these two very politically divisive people Really speaks volumes about Jesus' message. See, when we choose to hold on to anger or to be driven by fear or bitterness, do you know who experiences that anger and bitterness more than anyone? You do. If I'm going to choose to be angry at a huge group of people, they probably don't care, and it's probably not going to affect them very much. You know who it does affect? It affects you, and it affects those closest to you. In a very distant last place is the people that you're angry at. You experience that, and that's what Jesus came to save us from. It's what he came to give us. This is how we experience peace and joy. This is why the great command, love your neighbor as yourself. And just like that, when you choose to trust in the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the compassion that God has toward you, and you choose to have that outlook towards others, guess who experiences the benefit of that the most? You do. Followed by those closest to you. And I... I think there's two places where we tend to to lose this, this love. Sort of philosophically, we just simply underestimate God's grace. We put conditions on it. Maybe it exists for certain people, but not for others. And the reality is that if I don't believe it exists for others, I can't believe that it exists for me because it's not earned. By definition, either God's grace and love and acceptance is for everyone or it doesn't exist at all. The Apostle Paul says, if it's at all by works, grace is no longer grace. It's not a thing. Earned grace would be an oxymoron. So we struggle, we put conditions on it so we don't experience it fully. And then once it gets down to the application, there's a spot where we lose it. This idea of love your neighbor as yourself, it's in the Old Testament, Jesus obviously said it the Apostle Paul said, all of the law and all of the prophets hang on this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a big statement. What that means is this is the supreme command, and if anything contradicts that, it doesn't belong. So we do some gymnastics to make a lot of things fit under this command of love everything falls under this love your neighbor as yourself It tells us if it's not loving it's not from christ but here's where the disconnect happens we we come up with this definition of love well i'm doing this because i love them See, we accept God's command to love, but we interpret what it means to love in a way that allows us to stay divisive, to stay bitter, to stay superior, to hold on to our anger that Jesus came to free us from. And then anger and fear continue to be our motivating factors. And guess who experiences anger and fear the most when anger and fear are the motivating forces in your life? You do. If that's the choice we make, we are choosing to walk outside of the peace and the joy and the freedom that is ours. That's a no thanks, Jesus. I'm going to continue treating people poorly because I love them. And I think we've all, we've all seen this, right? Like it's because we love them we're going to treat them this way. Like, the, uh, let's, in all honesty, I feel like the church in general has done a really poor job at this. In some ways, the church has done a, a great job. Chad and I were just talking about this, uh, this, this morning. A lot of times when, when church leaders are accused of treating somebody poorly, they immediately point to all the good we've done. And the church has done a lot of good. The church feeds a lot of people. The church runs a lot of orphanages. A lot of the adoptions that uh, Christians are responsible for a tremendous percentage of adoptions. Like, Christians, there are areas that Christians do really well. But what are we doing? We're, We're ignoring the pain and the hurt that we've caused because, oh, look at the good. Look at the good we've done. And that's like classic abusive behavior. The harm that I've caused is okay because look at all the good I've done for you. It's... And to me, like, when I experience that in my relationships with people, that's where I say, please don't do anything else for me. Because now you're leveraging it against me. And you're excusing hurtful behavior because you did something nice. Don't do anything else nice. So we, we have these definitions of love. I'm doing this because I love you. And that's okay, but we don't get to make up our own definition of love. Love. We don't get to make like these vague, far reaching inferences about what it means to love. We go, oh, well, God did this, so. I'm like, yeah, have you read the Old Testament? That opens up a lot of room for. We're given multiple definitions of what it means to love. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. And understand, a lot of these churches, what they were going through is the merging of cultures that were previously very separate. Jews and Gentiles didn't mix. They didn't like each other. They didn't hang out with each other. They didn't eat together. And Jesus bridged that divide. The church was the reconnection there. And as you might expect, it came with some, it wasn't always, it was a little messy sometimes. And so the apostle Paul, he sends the church a definition of love. First Corinthians 13, four through seven, explain what love is to us. Love is patient. I mean, I feel like we could stop there and, like, I'll see you guys next week. We'll tackle the next one. <laughs> love is kind. Love is patient. Love it. And notice he doesn't say love is... Love can be patient or kind. Like, these... these it, it, all of these, you don't get to be, like, patient... And unkind, right? Like they, they go together here. Have you ever um, dealt with somebody who was being patient with you but unkind? <laughs> like just be mad, because now you're holding it against me. Right? Like I, again, like I'm being patient. I'm being so patient with you, and you're like, please don't. or they're being kind and not patient stop cuz then you realize that that the kindness is not genuine that the patience is not genuine there's like lots more to this description of love Whew. love is patient love is kind it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. I want just pause for a second. Let's, let's go back. This, this landscape that we live in, we call ourselves Christians. Things are about to get a little intense. Not right here. You, you know, like politically, right? Not right now. I'm not going to do anything else. Um, Love by definition, the, this great command on which every other command hangs, encompassed in that is, we don't dishonor others. And again, let me let me take another step back here. It's not because if you do this, well, God's gonna be mad. Or if you do this, there you know, you might lose what you've been given and I don't want to say it out loud but you might go to a bad place like (laughs) no what happens when you engage in activity and you justify dishonoring others you are choosing not to experience the love and the joy and the peace that God has given you see this, this is for you That's why the command is love others as you love yourself. Because when we dishonor others, when we're impatient, when we're unkind, it affects us way more than the people that we're trying to hurt or whatever it is we're trying to do to them. You're the one that experiences the worst end of that. So love others as you love yourself. We're not even halfway through this description of love. It's patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Left a little margin there, didn't it? It's not easily angered. So we, maybe we can get there. This is a this is a big one here. It keeps no record of wrongs. And hear what I'm what I'm telling you now. I'm not telling you, you better not keep any record of wrongs. What I'm telling you is giving you a source that God doesn't keep record of your wrongs. And now there should be, as a result of that, a peace and a joy and security inside of you that allows you and compels you to extend that to others. Not out of your own strength. I'm going to muster up the strength to do it right this time for God. No, no, no. God is doing it for you and through you. You get to experience it. You get to own it. This is why Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's because he gives us the source of this joy and this peace and this love and acceptance. We get it. We experience it. We know it. And it naturally extends out of us. So hear this today that God has this for you and you're going to see it start coming out of you towards others. So the, 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 the correction here is not try harder, do better. The correction here is trust what he's given you. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And again, this is not a, an or thing. It's not like love's patient and kind, or or you can do the truth. Because here's what happens, like, I'm loving you in truth. I'm giving them the truth because I love them. Uh, did we do it with patience and kindness, and are we dishonoring others? Are we self-seeking? Are we angered? That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't qualify. There's been so much harm done in the name of truth. And let's be real, it's, it's your version or our version or somebody's version of the truth, somebody's understanding of truth. And look at the next descriptor here. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. This is a description of God's love towards you and what you can expect in turn to grow from you. And I I, I truly... Would love for us, I mean, let, let's like keep it in, our, in our, our little arsenal family here because we can't be responsible for what everybody does. I would love for us to do well over the next several months. Because the r- reality in this room, oh, we, we, we reach far on the, on the political spectrum. both ways and and that's one of the things i'm most proud of when i'm here not that not that we have extremes but that we have extremes who can come together and come together with love and compassion and uh, i'm gonna just share an example of that real quick um I, I'm not gonna share any names, but in our church, like regular like i don't neither of them are here today, so i'm gonna i'm gonna just throw this out um but regular like a part of us we we have we have a person who's who's an outs, outspoken communist as who's a part of our our church, part of our body, who I love very much. We have people who are devout Trump supporters. One of my favorite things is to see one of our devout Trump supporters and our communist friend come together and talk about the books that they're reading. I love it. I think that's a sign that we at least have something. That Jesus had in this place. Because what's the story there? They just came together and they talk about stuff, but there's zero anger there. It's odd. I think that exists because of the grace and the acceptance and the love that God has for us and coming to that realization. If I don't come to that realization, I'm always waiting on you to get right before I can truly love you because that's what we think God is doing to us. He's not. He loves you. He accepts you. You're his child right where you are. Even even if you are hanging on to your anger and bitterness, you're just as much loved and just as much as child and just as much cared for. Because there is no earning. So step one to just preparing ourselves. I think a biblical way to put it would be, gird your loins some of you grew up in church and you know what I'm talking about some of you are like "Mm, I don't think I like this place anymore (laughs) it's a bible thing as we prepare for what we already know is coming and is here but it's it's, it's gonna you guys know start here what has God given you He's given you love. He's given you full acceptance. He offers peace and joy. And it's not because you have done something right. It's not because you've done all of the theological work. It's not because you have the perfect political point of view. None of that. It's because you're his creation and his child, and you're dearly loved. And even when you're in a place where you might call yourself an enemy of God, he loves you just the same. Deeply. Let's start there. And from, from that place, we're going to go love well. From God's love, we go love well. From God's acceptance we go and we accept well. Peace and joy and love overflowing. So let's do that, Arsenal. Let's let's go love well this week. Love you. I, I truly this is my desire for you that you experience that peace and that joy and that love. Because what you're giving is what you're experiencing. Not in some mystical way where you throw it out and it comes back, but you're, you're creating it in you, right? Like you're loving and you're experiencing love. You're hating, you're experiencing hate. I appeal to you <laughs> to accept what God's given you, that it would empower you to go love well. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Our hope is that you feel loved and encouraged. If you have questions or need prayer, please email hello at thearsenal.church and don't forget to download the Arsenal Church app.